Well, I reckon AI is one of the most overused words in InsureTech these days, and we are at risk of the hype getting ahead of the reality. But that's not to say that there are not some great companies out there that truly are using AI, of course, that's artificial intelligence, at the heart of what they're doing. We've already spoken to a few, we've got more to come. And today we're talking to Tractable, another company that is bringing speed and efficiency into the assessment of images that far exceeds anything a human could do. Now, AI is still evolving, and as we're about to hear from Adrian Cohen, one of the co-founders of Tractable, it is in particular important for AI to be smart enough to figure out and tell you what it doesn't know. Hello, Matthew Grant here, partner at Instate London, and a warm welcome this week to all of our US listeners. You are not alone. Whilst we are broadcasting from London, we are today working with companies from all around the world, and we know that 30% of you are listening in from the United States. Now, thanks if you've been in direct contact by LinkedIn or email to tell us what you think. Whilst we know where you are, we don't know who you are, at least not all of you. So every little bit of that helps. Like all our episodes, there's something here for everyone. Building technology, growing a business, growing a business at speed, going global, and a whole lot more. So here's Adrian. Adrian. Really looking forward to this discussion. It's always fascinating to talk to people that have founded businesses. You know, what I really like about Tractable is you're another great example of a company that is using AI, which I think everyone by now should know means artificial intelligence, in a, in a way that really is genuine AI. It's not just fancy use of spreadsheets. Your Tractable was founded in 2015. And you are also, I would say, an example of what success looks like in InsureTech. You've got 20 insurance clients at the last count, you're operating in 13 countries. Your application is pretty simple to explain, but we know it's very hard to get right. So welcome. Looking forward to hearing more about what's going on. Well, thanks a lot for uh, having me, Matt. Now, you've got a really interesting background. Uh, you've worked for a French insurer. You then already founded one company outside of insurance, which you sold to Alibaba. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what happened next. But I also noticed that you were a Goldman Sachs analyst. And given that uh, that's all in the news now about working 90 hours, how do you compare setting up a company uh, with working as a Goldman Sachs analyst? Which one is uh, more hard work? <laughs> True, yeah. I've obviously read the news. Uh, yeah, I don't think it makes any sense to work this kind of long hours. The reality is you're, you're more about doing something that has a purpose and the, the level of responsibility and stress uh, can be higher, but it's not about the long hours. It's about focusing on what drives the biggest impact. There's a lot of people coming from investment banking or consulting, looking for this purpose and looking to make a difference and, and actually jumping ship to tech. Completely agree with you. So anyone listening, if you're working ridiculous hours for in the banking world and want something, uh, I'm not going to say it's less hard work, but maybe more purpose, you want that attractable. But Adrian, let's talk a little bit about what happened in 2015. So you and Alex Daliak, your co-founder, got together. How, how did you get together and what was the motivation for starting the company? Yeah, actually, it's, it was Alex, Razvan and, and, and myself. And, you know, Alex and Razvan were doing their machine learning studies at Imperial in Cambridge. Uh, and in 2015, there was a historic moment in artificial intelligence where computers surpassed human performance in image classification. Essentially, it just means that the computers can see better than humans. And so that's when we realized that there was an opportunity to take this technology from the lab to the real world and really bring AI to the real world. Now, looking at Tractable, we obviously looked at a number of use cases where this technology would make the biggest difference, which in many ways is the worst way to build a company because you start from a technology looking for a problem rather than starting from a pain point you're trying to solve. 
And eventually we realized that, you know, accidents and disasters would be a, a great place where I could really make a difference. Every time there's an accident, things get damaged and you need to visually assess the damage to proceed with the recovery. And that is why we decided to, uh, to build Tractable. And you're essentially helping insurance companies understand the costs of damage. What is it the AI is now doing that humans can do, but AI can do better? If you've been in a claim process, in a, in a car accident, uh, you know uh, how long and tedious it can be. You know, on average, if you look at a car accident, you're talking more than 30 days to get back to normal. And the biggest bottleneck in this process, the most inefficient part of the process, is this visual expertise. What is the damage to the car? How much does it cost to repair it? And so getting back to normal requires this appraisal of the asset multiple times throughout the process, which is you know, taking a lot of time, a lot of resources. And that is why we basically started to wonder if AI could learn this visual task, could we instantly respond? You know, could we use our smartphone to acquire photos of the damaged car and then use AI to make sense of this photo? If you could do that, then you'd be able to recover faster and more efficiently. And this is really what we're doing. When you talk about that, what comes to mind is you've got to train the AI. You need to get photographs to do that damage. How do you build a business with customers when you're part of building the business is going out and teaching the technology you're then going to sell? I mean, does it take a long time to be able to get up and running before you could go and sell that technology? Yeah, that's a great point. You're right that the, you know, the main limitation in AI today is the volume of data that you use to train and, and, and teach the system uh, and also the granularity of the data. When we first started, I think the, the number one priority was to get enough data to train the AI to understand the task. Uh, the beauty of the, of the use case is that insurance companies have been documenting claim processes for decades. So they've been, you know, both insurance companies and repairers have been storing and photos of damaged vehicles for decades. So you have millions and millions of examples that have been sitting on servers unused for a long time. And so as part of building the, the company, we, we basically agreed with our global customer base to give us the data to train the AI and serve them better. Obviously, the data belongs to the insurance company, but this is the data that we're using to teach the AI and, and train the system. It's a really interesting point for anybody else thinking about building a business you know, to the extent you're willing to share some of your success stories. I wouldn't say secrets, but... But you still had to find your first customer. So how did that work back in 2015 when you, you had the idea, presumably you'd started to prove the concept? It's a kind of the chicken and the egg, which came first? You're absolutely right. I mean, obviously now we're in a great place with you know, customers in 13 countries. So we have a global customer base that's, uh, that's feeding and helping us to maintain and improve the system because they benefit from the learnings, right? But you're absolutely right that the step one is the hardest. Uh, and here, I think you, you need to do things step by step, right? Like what the AI is today able to do is much more complex than it was able to perform five years ago. So you want to start with a small training set. You want to show that the STEM is able to perform certain tasks. And then you want to show that as it grows, as we process more and more claims, it will be able to get there. So there's a little bit of, you know, uh, selling and showing the vision and being very open and transparent on the limitation and the uh, capacity of the system today. And then you just want to find the, the visionary customer, the partner who's okay to get on the journey with you, right? Not every single insurance company wants to be a you know, first wave and a pioneer. Some will be happy to be moving second, and those are not the first customers you wanna have. In our case, we're fortunate to have Covia in France, number one insurer there, 
AGS in the UK, top five as well, uh, showing the vision and championing the technology. And that's how we got started. Yeah, another really good point. I mean, it's that technology adoption curve, the sort of bell curve that people, you know, many people will be familiar with, the early adopters. If you try and sell to the wrong kind of company too early, they're just not, they're not ready for it. I think that's been one of the problems a lot of companies have had in innovating. Well, the great joy of doing these podcasts is I get to interrupt myself sometimes. Now, this technology adoption curve is true for almost every company in every industry. Different companies have different attitudes to when they want to buy. Typically, only around 15% of the companies in any market fall into the categories known as innovators or early adopters. These are the ones that are prepared to be the first to try out new technology. The remainder of the market are the early majority, late majority, or finally the laggards. Those are the ones that don't buy until things are really thoroughly proven. Now, I thoroughly recommend Jeffrey Moore's book, Crossing the Chasm, on this topic. Or if you want to, you can read a short article I wrote a couple of years ago on LinkedIn explaining the relevance to insurance. Look out for the link in the episode notes. Now, back to Adrian. You've got relationships with GS in the UK, Cavair in France. I think you're working with PZU in Poland, another leading local insurance company. And then also within Japan, that was, that, I think that's one of the, the major areas for you, isn't it, with Tokyo Marine and MS and AD. I mean, what is it about Japan that has made them a major market for you? Yeah, I think it's correct. Today we work with 25 companies, uh, the market leaders in, you know, in France, in the UK, in Poland, North America, Japan as you rightly said, Japan has been a fascinating market for us. There's been a couple of things. Number one, I think there is a big appetite for innovation. So, you know, as you pointed out, this uh, will to adopt new technology and do things differently was probably stronger in Japan than in other markets. I think number two, there's clearly a question of timing where the market leaders there had been trying to develop this kind of solution in-house. And they, they didn't manage to do so. And I think when they saw what we were able to do, they realized that they could actually deploy this kind of solution working with us rather than trying to do it in-house in and, and failing. It's also going to be the same thing in Western Europe and North America. There's more and more need for technology to assist with the claim process because there is a higher frequency of claims, but you don't have enough people to deal with the volume of claims, really. And so there's a question of, using technology to uh, uh, to help with the process, to support humans to work faster, because there's no other way. If you have a typhoon, an earthquake, if your house and property gets damaged, tens of thousands of you know cars damaged at the same time, you need technology to deal with the situation. And that point about they tried to do it internally and then realized they, they couldn't and they came to you. I mean, what distinguishes you as an AI company particularly, or the way you use AI, because there are many third-party companies now that are offering AI applications. You know, what what's the distinguishes Tractable from anybody else that might go and either have some people that can do AI themselves and image recognition you know, versus what, what Tractable brings to this? To build what we've built, uh, you know, in broad outline, you need two things. I think you need a, a lot of data and domain knowledge, and then you need the right deep learning capabilities. So the actual researchers, machine learning talent and, and the AI is really the backbone of the software we've, we've deployed. Now, if you think about it from, you know, if you look at insurance companies, number one, they don't have enough data per se, like the, the amount of data you need to train the system is in the hundreds of millions of data points. So a single insurance company in one market just doesn't have enough data to get to human accuracy, which is what you need. 
And then second, I think you obviously need the best researchers in the world. And for insurance companies, it's not easy to attract and manage and retain this kind of talent, right? Like the best researchers want to work for big tech. They want to solve big uh, problems worldwide and talent is quite limited and scarce, right? So that's why I think it's difficult for insurance company to develop that and makes much more sense to uh, to partner and find the right uh, partner to to work on that. Yeah, that last point is really interesting. I mean, it's obvious when you say it to some extent, it's a bit like where we started with our Goldman discussion. If, you, if you're a really smart AI engineer, then yeah, why wouldn't you go and work with a company that's focusing on that? And, and just talking about the AI itself, I mean, one of the, the challenges I think about it is what happens when the system doesn't know the answer or it doesn't know the answer with confidence. Is the AI smart enough to be able to go, I don't know, yeah, please help me? Or how do you handle those kind of situations? This is absolutely a great question when you think about deploying AI systems in the real world. You know, I, I think there's a couple of points. Number one, assessing damage, say, to a car is, is definitely a very subjective task, right? What AI brings to the table is the consistency, right? The ability to come up with a fair and objective assessment that's not going to be biased depending on, you know, where you live or who you speak to. Another thing you need is, is a confidence score, right? And a, an assessment from the AI itself that it's not able to perform the task. It's not going to be able to give you, a, you know, an accurate answer so that you can, as an insurance company, default back to a manual process when it's needed. And that's actually been one of the first things we've had to develop at the beginning of the business, this ability to be able to say, this is the confidence I have as an artificial intelligence. I suggest you default back to a, to a manual process. So you've provided that measure of certainty or uncertainty, but from the customer's point of view, how do you convince them that they can start to release the AI against their own claims records uh, with confidence that you know, what you're going to give them is going to be better and, and right? Or if it's not, it's going to you know, highlight where it doesn't know the answer. It's a very big part of all of our engagements, right? Like today, the, the AI is, is, is used by the world's biggest insurers uh, over the three continents. And, and there are basically tens of thousands of claims that, that the AI will process every day. A big part of every new engagement and existing engagement is to, is to compare what the AI is saying with what uh, you know, a consensus of experts uh, is saying on the same case. And to you know systematically assess where humans and AI are agreeing, where there are disagreements, and where do the disagreements come from? And that's how you build trust and confidence. What actually is the information the insurers are getting? The main question is, you know, what's the damage? How much is it going to cost? Right. So you're receiving as an input a photo of, say, the damaged car, and then the AI is going to perform an assessment of the damage and an estimate of the damage. So you'll get an assessment of you know, which parts are damaged, how much it's going to cost to repair those parts, the kind of labor hours you need, all of the detailed expert visual assessment. And with this kind of decision, as an insurance company, you're then able to uh, uh, proceed much faster with, with the claim management, right? You're able to take decisions on the spot. You're able to help your driver who's on the phone. You're able to tell the repairer that it can start right away with the repair of the car. So you're, you're basically able to accelerate a number of parts of the claim process because you have the information right away. And then you're gathering a lot of data now across 13 different countries. One of the intriguing things for organizations like yourself, you know, you, at some point, and you're probably reaching it now, you start to see a whole new set of insights coming across 
different clients in different countries. Uh, I guess one question is, as you look at the behaviors of drivers in different countries, do you see any different characteristics around the world for how people drive or how accidents occur in different countries? The main thing that has value in what we do is to basically focus on the repair cost. That's 40% of your premium when you buy insurance company is driven by the repair cost of the car. And we're uniquely positioned with a good sense of where's the repair cost inflation coming from, what are different repair standards by country, by insurer, um, and how you can improve that. And I think that's really going to be the, the biggest benefit for our customers and for the industry in general is to get this kind of benchmark of the best practices and where the easiest bucket of savings is because you're being more efficient on, on the way you repair the car. And then when we were talking before, we were talking a little bit about some of the challenges the insurance industry has with the prevalence of old technology, legacy you know, spreadsheets. But you mentioned in Japan, there's a technology challenge that most of us would have thought would no longer exist. But can you just talk a bit about you know, some of the ways your technology helps insurers in Japan with some of the information they're receiving? In Japan specifically, a big challenge we've had to overcome is that the information sent within the ecosystem, so from repair to insurance companies, for example, is that the players there are using fax. So basically, instead of sending a, an electronic version of you know, the estimate and the information, they'll, they'll fax it. And, and so it means that you need to make sense of a fax where the information is not as clear. You need to understand kataganas. So you basically need to build additional modules and layers to make sense of the input before you can even use your AI to, uh, uh, to perform the task. And you, you would not expect that, but 80% of the claims there are, are still going through faxes. Extraordinary. So 80% of the claims in Japan are being faxed through from, from is that from the vehicle? From the repairer, uh, repairer so the yeah. shops to the insurance company. And, and, and it's not just one, right? It's a back and forth. <laughs> so you can imagine how much efficiency you can bring to this kind of process. Because the rest of the world's discovered mobile phones and they're using those. Is that right? That's normally where people take the photographs from. Yeah, or did they just send it by email and they send a, you know, a, a structured digital format as opposed to a, a photo of a fax or a fax itself, which obviously is not as easy to, uh, to manipulate. And then just talking about photographs, I mean, maybe this is probably too advanced for some areas of the world, but what about video versus photographs? I mean, video presumably has got you know, more challenges in terms of the volume of what you're seeing, but presumably you get more information from a video of a accident or a damage versus a still photograph. Today, we, uh, we're still relying mostly on photos. And, and so we would receive photos from drivers or body shops or experts. And from the photo, we produce uh, you know, an analysis. Video is going to help even further against fraud because there's more information that's being analyzed and also the accuracy itself because you just have much more information again than, than just a few photos. And so on this topic, we are uh, currently uh, developing and, and piloting a solution um, that's basically combining video and AI to uh, evaluate the damage more accurately with a simple lap of a car. And I totally agree with you that that's where the industry is going. So the way that works is within the phone itself, you've got some intelligence that it helps guide the person with the phone to take different photographs depending on the damage. Is that, is that right? Rather than just they sort of have to figure it out for themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the old process would be, okay, use your phone, take a video, send it and just wait. And, and so in this kind of old process, the, uh, uh, the video would then be sent to the cloud and then all the analysis would happen in the cloud, right? Where all of your AI system would be in place. I think what's very exciting is to use 
phones and to actually embed as part of the web browser your ability to stream and compress and use the technology using the phone directly rather than communicate with the cloud, which means that essentially you're running most of the analysis locally on the phone. And so you're able to guide the customer in real time. Uh, you're able to flag when you know an information is not clear, maybe there's a damage panel. Uh, and so you're basically advising the driver to get closer to, to the panel. And you're doing that real time guiding the customer. So you're acquiring much higher quality information and the data you're acquiring is of higher quality. And so the, the analysis you'd be able to produce are going to be higher quality as well. feels like an area we're going to hear a lot more about going forward, which is a move from photographs to video to guided video. And then you touched on this a bit earlier, but I just want to make sure we're clear on how this works. So in, from a practical point of view, when a company is bringing Tractable in, into the workflow, the way you described it before, it sounds like they don't have to design a new process. They can essentially for want of a better word, slot tractable into the process that already exists. The barriers to adoption sound like they're quite low for somebody switching from the human to the uh, to the tractable solution. I think we've shown it. In less than three years, we went from zero to, uh, to 25 customers in, in, in production. And I think the main reason for that is the integration is very simple and very light. As you rightly point out, you don't need to redesign the systems. You don't need to uh, change your claim system, et cetera, et cetera. The, the way we integrate it is a simple, it's just a layer on top of your claim system as an insurance company. And the only thing we need really is to acquire the photo at the right point of time and then sending back the results to, to the right you know, decision maker to take action. And so in terms of integration, it's actually very, very light. And, and that so explains the speed. And, and also, I suspect when you go and talk to an organization you can talk directly to the business user. You don't need to go through an innovation team that are trying to change processes. Is that right? You can go straight to the person who's got a team trying to create the efficiencies you talked about. We do both. Most of the time, we want to improve and accelerate or streamline existing processes. And for that, we'd be you know, working directly with the claims team, the chief claim officer. Uh, and then more and more, there's a big focus on the digital experience of the driver and the policyholder. And that's more led by innovation. And on those things, we, uh, we basically collaborate to, uh, to add more tools so that you can acquire photos from the driver directly. So you have this kind of digital interaction and touchless interaction with the customer. And that is the video you were talking about or, or photo apps. So systems that you can put in the head of the driver directly. Uh, and for those, you'd want to work both with claims and innovation. Okay, so it sounds like you, yeah, you can either go in through innovation, but you've also got opportunity when you go in through claims, you can then build out the proposition on totally. top of the core product. Absolutely. And on, on that topic, so you've raised $55 million in external funding. I know you're now looking at property and using some of the techniques you've developed for motor for property. Can you just talk a little bit about that and actually the benefit of these kind of relationships? I was actually talking to somebody in a large insurance company today. He was asking, is, is this going to be in commercial property or is it just residential? So maybe you can add that in as well for a real-time update. We've raised $55 million to date from you know, top-tier U.S. venture capital. A big part of the company mission and vision is to use AI when accidents and disasters hit, right? So we've been very focused on auto and, and, and motor in, as a step one. This year, we're expanding into other type of damage, and we are expanding into properties. So when typhoons or earthquakes hit, you get thousands of property damage at the same time. And so you can use AI uh, in terms of speed and scale to really make a difference. 
And so we have a customer signed up for property. We're developing and piloting the solution as we speak. We'll be able to share more of the exact solution later this year once once we have the first results. And would that be residential, commercial, both, or you don't want to tell us? The first step is going to be residential. We're not making a big difference there. I think the value drivers might be different, but in the end, the uh, the goal, which is to understand the extent of the damage quickly, using uh, visual information, is is comparable. It's more about the uh, the value drivers and the processes, uh, but I I believe it it will apply to both. And what's really interesting about doing it for property, I mean, that that triage or the speed of response is particularly important because once you've damaged your car, it's probably not going to get any worse if it sits in the garage for a while waiting for the go-ahead. If you've had your roof blown off from a hurricane, the longer that roof is left lying on the ground or whether it's scattered to the more damage that can occur to the building from rain and other types of nasty things like mold. So I can, yeah, I can see the value proposition has actually increased significantly for the speed of being able to respond and triage. Yeah, I, th- I think it, in both cases, it's a, it's obviously a terrible uh, time. And so you want uh, an easy and, and very quick uh, response. You're right that, you know, houses will deteriorate. So you want to act very fast. Equally, you know, mobility is crucial for people, right? So getting back your car quickly so you can, you know, easily go to work, et cetera, et cetera, is also crucial. For example, in Spain today, Admiral is, is using the solution for customers to, uh, to settle their claim, you know, same day and get back with their life much faster. Uh, I think that also makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And one or two more questions to go, but before we get towards the end, Adrian, I've asked you lots of questions. Is there anything we haven't spoken about you'd like to talk about? The interesting bit is is how this kind of technology really scales globally. It's very rare then that companies are able to go to so many mar- markets so quickly. And it's obviously not easy to do that. But the, the reality is AI and cloud are, you know, forge a very interesting combination when it comes to scaling globally because the task is comparable. You know, cloud scales obviously very well. And so in the end, a damaged car in Japan or France or Canada requires the same kind of actions and the same kind of assessment. And so what's, what I find fascinating with this kind of technology is that you can very rapidly build a, a global leader. Well, we've got a very dedicated listener base in Canada, so they'll be pleased to know that you operate there. What about the US? Are you active there? Yeah, we're very active there. In fact, I think a couple of months ago, we announced our collaboration in the Wall Street Journal with the Hartford, which is you know a top 15 insurer, and they've been deploying our AI uh, in production in the US. So we're, we're definitely active there as well. Excellent. And we've been delighted that you've joined us as a corporate member of Instet London. Uh, and we had Alex on stage, I think almost about in 2015, when this was just an I- idea in a nightclub mm-hmm. in London. So uh, I'm not quite sure how much we were part of your success. You've <laughs> <probably a> minor <laughs> part, but but it'd be great to know just, yeah, what's uh, what's led to you joining us now? It's very clear that, you know, you guys are bringing together the uh, best of insurance and technology sectors. And I think it's it's going to be very helpful to facilitate this kind of conversation and, and collaboration. We've not been you know, as involved in the UK sector as, as we might have been, uh, having you know, most of the R&D actually based here in London. And that's because we initially focused on international expansion, North America in particular, but we're accelerating and investing a lot in the UK market. So it's, for us, it's definitely the right time to, uh, to change that. Well, thank you. Thank you for your support. And then finally, for anybody that's listening that wants to learn more about tractable uh, particular insurance companies that might want to work with you what's the best way to connect with the organization 
very happy to uh, to be connected either directly by, on me or by a website. Always happy to talk. Well, Adrian, thank you very much. It's Friday afternoon as we're recording this. I know you've had a busy week and I will want to let you get back to wrap it up with you and your colleagues. But, you know, thank you for your support. Really fascinating and looking forward to that next stage in the journey as you move into property and look forward to inviting you back to hear how that's going. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, that brings us to the end of another great company, or at least to the end of a discussion with another great company that we are delighted to have as a member of Instech London. Now, if you're new to our podcast or you haven't yet found them on our website, www.instech.london, you may find that our interview write-ups are also useful to recap on what we've been speaking about or to share them with our colleagues. Each episode is lovingly buffed and polished with the main highlights. And in the podcast section of the website, you can find those or follow the link in the episode notes. Finally, if you're not already one of our corp members and would like to know more, please do get in touch with me directly, Matthew Grant on LinkedIn or via hello at instec.london. Back again next week.